Welcome to our podcast. Good news, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back to Real Conversations with Mario Gabelli. You know what we're talking about. We're talking about his best ideas, best stock picks. Buying the damn dip today might, might make some... We actually have a dip today. You know, I don't, did you, are you a dip buyer? You've been a dip buyer? You're, you're, you're into that, right? No. Well, what we do is not complicated. What's a company worth in three or four years? Okay, we have a high passion for companies, but we also have a high retention rate. So our turnover is very low. So if we think a company is going to be trading at uh, $24 today because it's worth 35 in three years, and I can buy it at 22 I have lower risk and a higher margin of safety. So we look for those slots. You know, and in addition to that, while well, there's been low volatility, Keith. Super low. But individual companies have had high volatility, mm-hmm. okay? So today, Harris Corp is up $10. Wins uh, was down 25 bucks in the last two days. So we look for those spots. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, when you're running $40 billion all equities, and I run a portion of that, uh, you always have some extra cash that you want to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're, agno- you're agnostic on what the quote-unquote market multiple is. I, I, I definitely am, by the way, so I mean, just getting that on the shelf. I mean, you, you're just looking for companies that you can buy at the right price for three years. Oh, whatever time period. The reason we want to have an extended time period is why do we want to pay a tax? A tax-free accounts get the same thought process. Right. Uh, the tax rate is 23.8% if you live in Florida <laughs> and not in Connecticut or anywhere else, so, uh, if you hold it over a year. So that's important to us because it's not only what you make, it's what you keep. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, uh, it takes a while for some of these companies where you may have a new management in or a new CEO or a new strategy for that to work out. It doesn't happen instantly like Flannery at GE or some of these companies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I'll ask you about that a little later on, like new management teams that you like, stuff of that nature, themes. But first, just giving you open reign here on what some of your top ideas are. Well, <laughs> they're nothing new. They're a continuation of a policy or philosophy. For example, housing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll do uh, 1.3 million single-family homes uh, would be an average for the last 30 years. Obviously, when Wall Street was writing these low-doc, no-doc, and all those other things, you basically got up to 1617. Right now, they're running in 900,000, a million homes. So I think there's a long runway here because the population's increased. And as a result of that, that whole ecosystem, who benefits from housing, which part in the in- initial phase, and what happens later, and then how does manufacturing housing fit into that? So that's an example. Another example would be a simple thing. I think tonight, the, today is Tuesday, the president will be talking at 9 o'clock. You've got an infrastructure play. Right. Okay, you just drive on any bridge. There's 500-odd thousand bridges in the United States. The American Society of Civil Engineers has rated them, upgraded them to a D plus. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean, Keith? It means that we need a lot of help, okay? And uh, roads, inland waterways, avionics, the whole no- notion of how do we participate. Now, we got an early sampling of that. We got an early sampling in December of 2015 when they had the Fix America Surface Transportation called the FAST Act, which helped give money to companies to go in and do the milling and the paving of roads. And therefore, we found companies like in Chattanooga, a company called Ashtech. They make great equipment that you'll see for laying down asphalt and 
cutting up the roads. And then we found one in Orlando, Florida. They had more cash than debt called GenCorp. Now we've added to that. Even John Deere just bought a company called Gherkin. They closed on it in December for about $5.3 billion. The largest acquisition does the milling, the paving, and so on, hmm. and are working. And uh, as a result of that, that ecosystem, how do we participate? What about equipment rental companies? Right here in Stanford, there's a company called United Rentals. We've been looking at that for a long time. There's a company in London that I've been visiting called Ashted. Uh, there's a company down in... Uh, I think it's Bonita Springs, Florida, called Herc Rentals. So that area is intriguing, even without an extra tailwind from an infrastructure spend. And they're attractive, and they have been, and they will continue to be. In addition to that, you have 100% depreciation of equipment put in Love place, it. new and used. Yeah. Okay, so effective September 27th of last year, you go out and buy an aircraft, you can buy a G550. I may be lucky to get a King Air. <laughs> but basically, you go out and you buy one of these things, and you take a write-off. And uh, uh, I think demand has been picking up in the last three or four weeks. Increase have increased. And as a result of that, companies that make this equipment are intriguing. The wild card here is that Boeing is trying to buy Embraer. So infrastructure in a lot of different ways and the 100% depreciation uh, coming in also helps the equipment companies. And then the companies in that regard, uh, even the big Class A truck manufacturers in the United States, the Packard. So there's a whole bunch. And then we're looking at things like health and wellness, okay? You, you really have to ask yourself, how do we cut down on health care costs? Now, you saw today Bezos, uh, Buffett, and uh, Diamond are coming in and doing something. Uh, they're putting together some kind of a, a venture, and I'm not sure I know the details yet, of how to focus on healthcare costs, whether it's generic drugs or distribution, how do we get costs into better containment? And we've liked that, but we like to also go to have behavior changes, less smoking, more drinking, no. Um, and, uh, you know, things like that. And sugar, we like to get substitutes for sugar, so we found uh, beverages that have no, no ingredients of any kind, either artificial or otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so you, you go into a Costco and you look on the shelves and see who's making sparkling water and things like that. Mm. Uh, then the other areas of uh, what Gen Z is doing. What does Gen and the millennials want to do? Do they want esports, e-games? Do they like live entertainment? And we're in a camp that says, if I can buy live entertainment, I like it. So I see Derek Jeter buying the Marlins for $1.4 billion or $3 billion. And so when I can buy a baseball team like the Atlanta Braves, B-A-T, RA is a symbol where John Malone is in charge, Ooh. and they got a B-A-T-R-K, but the A is the voting, and I always like to have voting when I pay the same price. And as a result of that, that is interesting. The Atlanta Braves are selling around 22, 3, 4, something like that. There's 58 million shares. You multiply that out, and you get SunTrust Stadium. You, get, you own the ballpark. You own the land around it, which is a, a development. Really? Yeah, it's a, wow. a lot of land down in, in Cobb County in Atlanta. They moved from downtown. The attendance has gone up. This, the team did better, but it's got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, when you think about it, the Braves, I think, started in 1871. Mm -hmm. Somewhere else, though. But they own the, they own the entire entertainment venue. It's not yes. just the Braves. Wow. Yes, except one thing. On the pre they, they did sign a uh, television deal that probably extends to 2027. I'm cuffing that date. It could be 28. Mm -hmm. So they, that's work in progress. It's interesting, because this is right up your alley with, I mean, MSG has been a, I don't know if you own it anymore, but that's well, the name that you... Yeah, there's 23.5 million shares of MSG. The stock is $212 today, okay? So you multiply that out. So let's call it 
23 million shares times 200 is 4.6 billion. Let's call it 4.8 billion rounded up in equity. You got a billion one of cash. Hmm. Then you get the Knicks, the Rangers. Then you get all the venues. And then you get some other things like they threw in, like Tau. And you also get air rights in Manhattan over the garden. And that area west of the garden in the Hudson Yards is a hot area. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's as good as Nashville. It's as good as other parts like Reno. Um, and uh, that has economic value. And Jimmy Dolan, I think, at some point will say, okay, let's split the company up. Mm-hmm. Again, remember, Cablevision split MSG. They split AMC, Walking Dead, the, the uh, and they then... Uh, MSG split, MSG end. And once you have that in your DNA of understanding how financial engineering works, it's easy to do the next one. The next one, hopefully, is take live entertainment. They're building something in Las Vegas. They're going to be in esports, e-gaming at some point. And that's kind of intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things are. I mean, a lot of, I mean, this is kind of right up your alley. One of your, one of, I think one of your better quotes is when you talk about bargains. I mean, Marty Whitman used to say that a bargain that remains a bargain is no bargain. But you know, the way that you define bargains is smaller companies that are ignored and, un- yeah, they, and or look, unloved. Yeah, but the problem is that the, you know, the, the number of sell-side analysts that are covering tiny companies is declining. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're on the buy side. But, you know, it's when they have the intention and focus, I can't talk to my analysts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because um, they're on the sell side. Yeah, we have, we have a bunch on the buy side. So their opinions are their opinions. Mm-hmm. So sometimes somebody said, well, your analyst is saying X and I'm saying Y. Yeah, I happen to believe that MSG at $212 is okay. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy to predict that they will sell it the way you can do it Malone, who will harvest it to some rich guy that wants to own a baseball team yep. or gal, and uh, they'll pay uh, you know, uh, enough to get the whole venue. Have you ever lost money being Long John Malone? Yeah, I think he's made a mistake back in 1999. <laughs> I think he bought something called Jukebox. Jukebox. Uh, really? in, in South Beach, Florida. It was a way to get music way before you had Spotify, way before you had Sirius, way before you had Pandora. And there was a way f- for you to ha- listen to any music you wanted at any time. Yeah, well, however... He actually did, was, did make a mistake. Um, but back on BTRA, you said the A stock has the vote. Is the voting stock? Yeah. Okay. You know what? Going back like in housing, when you can buy the voting stock yep. and buy it at the same price as the low vote, duh. In the case of Lennar, which is located in Miami, and Miller is running it, Stewart has done a good job, mm-hmm. the voting stock is selling at a 12-point discount from the low vote. So LEN, which is in the index... Versus LEN.B, which is the voting stock where the family has their controlling interest, you're buying it at a $12 discount. We, are, we now own 11 to 12% of the B. There's a couple of hundred million shares of the A and 38 million shares of the B, so we like to have our money. So we did that with Viacom. In the case of Greif, we're getting a premium now. We bought it at a discount. It's now going to a premium. And we like the underlying asset, so we get a double win. Awesome. That's great. So, I mean, a lot well, of... You can't do it in MSG because the voting stock's held by the Dolan family. But a lot of your rules within the rules, I mean, they're great playbook rules for investing. So, I mean, whether it's, you know, betting on Malone, but you know, who is the best new management team that you're, that you're long right now? Or change in management, however you want well, to Well, that's work in process, okay? Now, you take a system. What we like on a global basis is wireless. Okay. And we like communication. Secondly, what we think is Latin America is going to come back. With Mauricio Macri in Argentina, that Chile has always done well. Now, he grew up in Colombia, but he runs a company called Millicom. Millicom is controlled 
by a company in Stockholm called uh, Shinovic, K-I-N-N, and the woman that runs it, Christine Stenbeck, is a family member for decades. Malone wants to take control of Latin America the way he's done in Europe and the way he's done in the United States in cable. So he's going to take a stub, a spinoff called Lilac, Liberty International Latin America, and somehow figure a way to merge it with, and they bought cable and wireless, they're going to merge it with uh, Millicom. So Millicom is a $70 stock with 100 million shares, 7 billion market cap, a couple of billion of debt, they're selling off their assets in, in Africa. So we like that. So we like the notion of uh, dealing in the wireless world. And there are other ways to participate that on a global basis, but knowing that John Malone, who's is the architect behind it. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. And the other one that we, we, we definitely are, are big believers in is this CapEx cycle. We meet with a lot of people who have no idea how to answer the question other than it's up. Like if you give me an LLC 100% depreciation against my net income, you know, my goal is to not pay taxes, so I'm going to invest in my business. It's a pretty simple one. 94% of U.S. companies, as you know, are pass-through entities. Uh, so people are incentivized to avoid taxes if they can invest in their business. How, how can you, like, how do you get some tangible level of confidence in CapEx just going straight up into the right uh, or a level of it, or do you care? You just want to be Well, we do it another way, Kate. When I look at the global economy, it's $84 trillion. I look at the U.S., it's $24 trillion. We are a growth engine. So I start off and break the U.S. economy down into the big pieces. The mm-hmm. consumer is 70%. Investment, of which CapEx is yep. a subset, is 13 to 14 percent. Then you have state and local and government spending, and then you have the plus or minus in net exports. The U.S. consumer's net worth is over 100 trillion before today, over 100 trillion dollars. Okay, uh, the numbers will be out for December 31st. They'll uh, be gross assets probably 116 trillion, and the debt is uh, probably 15 trillion, 15.5. There's sub debt issues. Yep. Okay. The housing, uh, car sales are slowing down a little bit, but uh, inventories come down a little bit, so I don't worry about it. That, that's on the consumer side. In the investment side, as the economy roars up to a 3% real growth and as labor supply comes down, you know you have to put money back in a CapEx. You know you haven't done it. In addition to that, there's the 11th commandment. If you don't ask, you don't get. What he's getting is a company saying, I'm going to relocate in the U.S. Why? Because of the less regulation and also the favorable tax rate. And as a result of that, you're going to start seeing some CapEx because of new greenfield construction. In mm-hmm. addition to that, uh, there's new technology all the time. And to the degree you can take 100% write-off, that helps cash flow. Mm-hmm. Now, some industries get the better benefits, some don't. Okay, uh, Like I talked about used aircraft, a new aircraft. You buy, a, a, I think, business jets have bottomed. I think they're coming back. I think the notion of uh, buying other uh, equipment is important, and that will be companies which uh, are niche companies. So we have a company called Amatech out of Philadelphia that's done extremely well. They, they create niches. There's a company right here in Stanford, Crane, that just reported numbers today that is involved in that. Uh, in Crane the, is a way to play uh, jets? No, 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 no. Crane is a way to play, play CapEx. CapEx. Yeah. Jets are Textron. Textron Tex- is in Providence, Rhode stock. Island. 266 million shares, if I remember. Make hawkers. Yeah. Yeah, but they also make citations. There's a latitude, the longitude, but they also have a plane called the Scorpion, which they put some money in that is also a, uh, a reconnaissance plane for the military. And uh, they're competing against the Brazilian made aircraft. Unfortunately, if Boeing buys Embraer, gets involved, 
it's a tug of war as to whether they get. So that's an example of private aviation. Honeywell is another example that makes the avionics and makes other equipment. And there are companies that sell parts and spares for uh, business jets. Mm-hmm. There's 21,000 business jets, of which uh, uh, about 7,000 have the the fingerprints of Textron now that they bought uh, Beach. And, uh, yeah, they own the King Air, which is a pretty efficient plane. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's a lot of ways to kind of apply the same thing. CapEx, innovation, Yeah, but I think, cycle. I, I think this notion of 100%, if I'm a doctor and I got to practice, can I buy that next X piece of equipment? Am I a dentist? Can I buy it? Am I a veterinarian for hot pet care? Can I buy it? Yeah. Yep. And my farmer, the farmer has some different rules, but the same thing. I think you'll see it in the construction equipment, you see in John Deere, but you also see the Uber uh, impact of an Uber-type mentality of having the sharing economy so that the Herc Rentals, the uh, United Rentals all participate. Hmm. Good. All right. So we got uh, 15 minutes to take other people's questions. Um, the, the one question I didn't ask was, what do you think about pot stocks? Plain old telephone service. No, P-O-T-S? No. Like pot, like smoking. I, like, well, my pot is plain old telephone <laughs> service. Your pot is smoking stuff. I don't, I, I don't, don't have smoke. a point of view on your pots, but I have a point of view on mine. The only thing I uh, am concerned about with your pot is the following. There is no question that this has been going on in Amsterdam for an extended period of time. So I look at Amsterdam and I say, do people substitute smoking pot for drinking beer? Mm-hmm. And what impact does that have on booze, uh, beer, and wine drinking? And so far, the evidence has not been overly conclusive, okay? So that's the only way I would think but about it. But you care because you've invested in those booze stocks for a long time and made a lot of money in them. Yeah, because I believe that, you know, if you and I were here in 1955, that's not long ago. Mm. And I happen to know the number. There was 2.8 billion people, and now there's 7.5 billion. But 3 billion of those are India and China. And as far as I can tell, the Chinese love to gamble and they're willing to drink and the Indians are the same way as opposed to other parts of the world. So I have a rising income in two parts of the world that at the margin are going to go. Secondly, in China, 90-odd percent of what they consume in... And when I was there in 1981, we used to drink motais, you know, come by, you know, <laughs> drink it down and slug it down the way I used to drink grappa. So I was okay. Independent of all of that, they 90% plus is only the local beverage. Mota, you know, it's a Baidu-type drink. Yeah. So that as you come in with uh, booze, whether it's Irish whiskey, uh, which is uh, Jameson, which is uh, Pernod, or you come in with uh, products that Remy Martin sell, or you even come in with bourbon, that helps the system. Secondly, they're selling up. So you can buy a bottle of wine for $50, but you can get a premium Irish whiskey for 35 and Maker's Mark and Woodford Reserve are certainly brands that I, you know, want you to buy. Yeah, so good. I like that because there's pricing power and there's growth and there's a tailwind of this. Um, so I, I'm totally in favor of uh, the uh, booze business, and uh, you know, you that is very interesting time frame. Yeah, for sure. What's okay, the question? Questions. Uh, MSG first. In your opinion, which of MSG's assets will be monetized first? Next Rangers, Air Rights. I don't have it that way. I'm thinking that at some point in time, the Dolan family will take the sports teams and put them off. They're selling the Liberty today, they, for whatever reason. Okay, and then the question is, will they do eSports and will they do eGaming? Will eSports be, be dropped into that live entertainment? And then you're opening the venue in Las Vegas. So uh, spinning off but controlling. 
Okay. That doesn't mean selling, but spinning off and controlling in two different vehicles, mm-hmm. okay? I'm not so sure the air rights would not go. I, I have to re-examine the tax structure, but obviously with a 21% tax rate, even if it was full cash tax pay, that helps. And uh, so either way, $212, you get the Knicks almost for free. On, on Stubbs and, and whatnot, we have a lot of questions on Dr. Pepper, by the way. That's yeah, I, uh, if they want it. You want it? Do you want it? Do you care? Yeah, Dr. Pepper, I, I happen to be my favorite drink, so I bought the stock. But I've owned <laughs> it before. No, no, DDP, Diet Dr. Pepper. So I'm a DDP fan. Independent of all of that, you, I followed the company that were bought. They were spun out. This is the second reiteration of that. And the guy young that's running has done a good job. Mm-hmm. So you got 180 million shares. The stock today is 120 probably. You're getting 103.75 cash. So you subtract the 120 from 103.75 to keep the number simple. 104. You're paying 16 dollars. Mm-hmm. For a stub, the stub will represent 13% of NUCO. NUCO will consist of Keurig and Dr. Pepper. They will uh, have 13% of X equals uh, uh, the, two point, uh, the uh, 20, uh, $3.5 billion. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have equity of $18 billion. You're going to have eight, debt of $18 billion. That's $36 billion market cap, of which Dr. Pepper shareholders, my clients, will own a piece. And uh, Mondelez will own a piece, 13 or 14%. So the stub is selling at about, a, based on our analysis, based on the 2019 numbers, we think they'll do about $3.5 billion of EBITDA, uh, maybe 3.3. Three. And so it's not cheap, okay, because it's $35 billion with debt coming down because there's not much CapEx in the business. Well, it's 10, 11 times. Mm-hmm. I think it's a nice vehicle. It's much like the 3G guys are going to be doing with Kraft Heinz when they try to go after Unilever. And that work is in process. And I think the Jakob uh, Benkiser will do something with this vehicle. JAB will uh, use this as a vehicle to buy other things. And on page 21 of the handout yesterday, I happen to have it here. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, no, because I wanted to, uh, I'll put this slide on your screen and it will deal with the following. It goes across everything in the beverage area. The one area that's the fastest growing is uh, uh, sparkling water. Really? Okay. And Sparkling Water is a company called National Beverage, which makes LaCroix. Walk in tomorrow, go to Costco, and go to the Sparkling Water, see what you can get. Coca-Cola is trying to do something like that. Any event, that's the Dr. Pepper. So uh, we think over the next three to five years, a very interesting vehicle. Obviously, it's going to take three or four months to close the deal. And the question is, at what price do you pay for the stuff? Mm-hmm. So you've got to be pretty happy with that this week. You're pro- um, it's w- a living. Were, were you long win? coming into this week? Or? Yeah, we have 300,000 shares of win. We own about 1.7 million shares of Dr. Pepper. We own about 2.8 million shares of uh, MGM. I, my bet in Barron's was uh, Mirage. I thought Mirage well had some things going on it. I, you know, win is uh, a challenge. I mean, you have the, the biggest issue is Massachusetts, where they don't, are not operational yet. Mm-hmm. And the question is, in quote, suitability. And... Uh, then you have uh, Las Vegas, but they're already a license holder, and there's uh, the burden of proof on this issue uh, is up to the uh, state, whereas in Massachusetts it's up to the individual. Right. And so I think the, uh, the logical Jim Murren would love to own the asset. He's already in Springfield. He's already in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is uh, Sheldon. That would be a layup. Sheldon right. would love it. Uh, and that's the way to play all of them, really. I mean, if you, you just, you know, Keep buying the other stocks if they get if if they get these handouts. 
Why not? Well, well I have no, I, 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 at certain prices, you know, there are certain dynamics that take place. So Cotter still owns a piece and with Universal Entertainment. Uh, he's got 100 million, uh, 10 million of the 100 million shares. Mm-hmm. Elaine has 9 or 10 million shares. Steve has got 12 million shares. So, you know, the question is, how does that work out? Mm. Tough one. That's the market, right? Um, let's see here. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Et cetera, et cetera. The, the Barons Roundtable, I always look forward to. Tracking the U.S. dollar versus the run higher in Treasury yields. This correlation seems to be broken in the last 6 to 12 months. Can you give a brief comment on this macro correlation if you have any, any insights? The dollar versus U.S. interest rates? Dollar down, rates up. Why is that happening? There could be a couple of short-term dynamics. Mm-hmm that I'm not comfortable in answering, but I will. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's just that I don't think about it a lot. And that is the repatriation of funds. Okay. So you're taking euros, buying dollars. What does that mean? Your uh, second part is uh, if I'm in uh, Singapore or I'm in uh, Edinburgh and I'm uh, Scotland, if I'm looking at where do I put my assets, am I starting to take some money off the table in the U.S.? What does that do to the flow of funds? Mm. The German 10-year Bund is 0.5, you know, it's not even a half a percent. It's a little over a half a percent. The 10-year Japanese uh, bond is uh, like uh, five basis points. So the argument would be that, in theory, that money will continue to go into the 10-year U.S. bond at 273, okay? So, but the 273 bond is uh, more of a headwind for stocks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I happen to not be un. The euro this morning is 124. The pound is around 142, 43. That means my companies that have earnings in Europe, where the economies are strong, are gonna. I'm going to have a huge positive tailwind, Keith, in the Q1, mm-hmm. just as I had in the fourth quarter, both on revenues as well as uh, the impact of currency translate. Conversely, though, if I'm selling uh, booze in the United States. And I'm a uh, French company like Pernod, that's a negative. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to look at both sides. Actually, we do have questions on the booze stocks here in the U.S. since we've been talking Bottoms about Bottoms up, yeah, I know. Constellation or Brown Foreman, et cetera. You know, how, do, how do I get long booze? I think I would put together a uh, spirits package. <laughs> and a, buy, holiday package. a holiday package. <laughs> and buy Pernod, uh, buy a Campari in Milan, which has wild turkey and has a couple of other interests. Like, Campari uh, has wild turkey. Grand Marnier. Uh, they just bought that. They have nice little niches. The stock is around six and a half euros. Um, Pernod, Diageo. I have no problem with Constellation. I have no problem with Brown Foreman. The prices are high, but I think that's a good mix. In addition to that, I'd love to buy Centauri. Uh, Mutai in China is a little high. I've got an analyst in uh, uh, Shanghai that covers that area who is my beverage analyst in the U.S., so uh, we'll do it globally. And there are a lot of little that's – that's, that's what they call liquor. Yep, exactly. Okay, then there's beer and there's soda, and I think you'll see another interesting dynamic occurring. And you have a lot in your head. Uh, Given, this one's on autos. I mean, uh, Navistar going forward, given what's going on with v, uh, post-VW investment. Okay, Volkswagen bought about 18% of the company, around $20 or less, and they're putting all the synergies together. They're going to take their truck business even more public, and then they'll buy the balance of Navistar. So Navistar's got uh, like 100 million, 98 million shares, call it 100. The stock's around 43, down a couple of bucks today. The Class 8 market in the U.S. has turned around dramatically, okay, mm-hmm. A shortage of drivers, but compensation will pay for that. Autonomous driving, that's down the road. 
Um, so I like both PACCAR, which is 73.4 this morning, and uh, Navistar. The question for Navistar is when is, when is Volkswagen going to buy it? I don't think that's derailed. I think it's, they're going to spin off the truck business, the Class 8 market, and uh, in Europe and combine it with the U.S. and Latin America. It's a very interesting uh, move on Volkswagen's part, mm-hmm. as well as Navistar, which is extremely well managed. The, new, the annual report for Navistar that just came out really highlights everything they've done. I've never seen anything as detailed and as positive from a company that's had this turnaround. So mm-hmm. Troy Clark at Navistar has done a great job. The annual report lays it all out. You've got to look at Navistar. So keep trucking, trucking. I've got to say it right. How long has he been there? I mean, he's really turned that around. Four years. Four Five years. Because well, that thing used to be an absolute mess. Um, USM, why won't the Carlson family listen to you and sell USM? Step one, buy it all. <laughs> they own 81% of U.S. Cellular. U.S. Cellular is selling at 38. It is a no-brainer. I do not understand why they can't pull the trigger. Okay, these are... Ted is a Harvard Business School guy that gathers the information, and it's an easy decision. And I don't understand it, okay? They have a 5% interest in Los Angeles of a cellular license that Verizon will buy back. They have towers which they can monetize. There's no shortage of available funds at a low cost to buy in the balance. So that they own... U.S. Cellular has... uh, They own about... They'd have to buy about 20 million shares at 50 bucks. It's a billion dollars. Get it out of the way and focus on growing the business. They did, they're dabbling in broadband cable in a TDS. I can't answer why they don't listen. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. You, uh, by the way, I'm the CEO of a public company that competes with them, but in regional uh, telephone. That just means you know what you're talking about, which every, no, everyone, it's, no. it's self-evident to everyone who's If watching. I was knew what I was talking about, I'd... <laughs> well, I promised I'd keep you here for half an hour, so I have to give you the... This might take half an hour to answer it, but this is going to be the last question. If you were the CEO of GE, would you do anything differently right now? No. Flannery is going to do it. You think so? Yeah. I basically, uh, you know, start the ball all rolling. Look, you got to... This is not a small company. <laughs> no. Okay? It's like uh, 800, uh, 8.5 billion shares at 16, so you're talking still about $130 billion market cap. But the engine business is a crown jewel. Yeah. Uh, the guy that runs it, Joyce, is fabulous. And uh, you have a bunch of other things that uh, work. So two years from now, I think uh, you look back and say he cleaned house and uh, he's moving on. And that's what he was brought in to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what, what, do, what do you think people will have wrong on this guy? I don't think they have anything wrong on him. Really? I don't think they have anything wrong on the stock. It's got problems. I mean, you know, you've got to look past the short-term speed bumps and say what is it going to look like in 2020, so you've got to have that kind of 2020 vision. So you literally wouldn't do anything differently? No. Oh, that's a, that made the answer a lot shorter. Maybe uh, maybe. Uh, but most- again, uh, you know, uh, moving to Boston, you know, Connecticut, the, what I would do is I would take the people in Connecticut that said we don't need GE, we don't need Aetna, we don't need... Uh, uh, you know, United Technologies, because they're not as important to the state, I would toss them into the, give me a river. <laughs> Sagatuck? No, that's, no, a, no, no. That's I, like the, I like the Sagatuck people. too close to home? Yeah, <laughs> let's find another river. No, I think it's because, I mean, you, you, what, your recent purchase of G, a lot of people are interested in terms no, of I didn't buy like enough it. of it. Look, yeah. the answer is you, if I buy t- uh, 5 million shares, it's $80 million, okay? I mean, I've got $200 million in Dr. Pepper that I'm going to get back. 
So what do I do with that money? And then how do I reinvest it when I got exact tech? And what other body parts do I buy? You play hockey. A lot of people uh, play sports. At 85 years old, they're doing taekwondo. They need new hips. They need new knees. So we are into the body part business. I love it. You're the body purpose. That's great. And GE, too. So thank you very much for your time. Your, 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 your memory and your, your amazingness. Well, I, I made up those numbers anyway. Good. <laughs> well, that's good. That's, you know, at least you presented them with conviction. You agree. Thank I agree you. with that. Thank you very I'm much good. for your best. Always, always good to be here. Three years from now, I'll come back. Much appreciated. He's Mario Gabelli. I'm Keith McCullough. You can find me on Twitter. He's on Twitter very early in the morning, too. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. As a reminder, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut. Hedgeye Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. This presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. Neither Hedgeye Risk Management nor any individual expressing those opinions or conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.